Yo, this is Pastor Tito here, and this is the Revolutionary Podcast. to our study of the book of Acts that we are doing throughout all of 2022. And today we are picking up where we left off as we are looking at a strategy that the enemy implemented to try to take out the early church from day one. And I'm here to tell you that the strategy stays the same. And so today we're going to look at not only what that strategy is, but we're going to look at an object lesson from a very crazy church service that will help us to learn how to avoid that and how to guard our hearts so that the Lord can continue to help us to grow in intimacy with Him and in influence with others. There was a moment when the church was being intimidated from the outside. We've been talking about this for a couple weeks. And so the church, yo, there's, there's uh, nothing has changed in 2,000 years, right? There is still intimidation on the outside that the church is constantly experiencing. And the reason why is because they were all doing all these things because of one name. Y'all want to shout out that name? We'll take a wild guess what that name was. Type it online. What is it? Jesus, right? They were doing everything. They healed this man in a miraculous way, and they were saying it was Jesus who did it. The resurrection, Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the grave. He is the promised Messiah. And the people were, and you know, the Jewish leaders were intimidated themselves because they were seeing people in the thousands believing in Jesus. And what's shocking, even in, in what's amazing in the book of Acts, it actually says that large numbers of priests were rejecting and believing in the name of Jesus, which was amazing. And so here, the religious authorities guys are threatened. They're intimidated because they're losing power. They're losing significance. And, and so what they did was intimidated the church. And they said, listen, Peter, John, y'all can do whatever you want. Heal everybody. We can care less. Just don't say it was who? Jesus. Just keep that name out of your mouth. Do it. We don't care what you do as long as you don't do it in the name of Jesus. And they said, we're going to do it anyways, right? So they did it. They were threatened. And here the church does this prayer. And could you imagine, guys, here you are. What's going to happen if you get threatened by your, your life is threatened? Would a simple prayer be, Lord, keep us safe. Lord, protect us. Would that not be a prayer of yours? How, many, how often do you wake up in the morning and say before you start, like, Lord, help me have a safe day today. Protect me. Keep my, you ever pray those prayers? It's okay to pray those prayers. But you know what the church did when they were intimidated and threatened? Their lives were threatened. They literally prayed, Lord, give us boldness. Because I guarantee you they were scared. They were like, oh, no, what are we going to do? And they said, no, give us boldness, Lord, to do whatever we need to do despite what we're facing. And God answered that prayer. And, yo, they kept going. It was amazing. And so in face of intimidation, they kept on doing what they claim to do. And so we're going to pick up right where we left off. So in response to the intimidation, let's look at the interaction that they have. So we're going to put it on the screen. Let's read Acts 40, I'm sorry, 4, 32 to 37 together. Ready? Here it says, now the entire group, all right, all the Christians at that point, the entire group of believers, those who believed were of, what does it say? One heart, one mind. And no one claimed that any of the possessions was his own. But instead, they held everything in common. With great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord 
Jesus, and great grace was on all of them. For there was not a needy person among them, because all of those who owned lands or houses sold them. They brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. We're going to come back to that later. It's going to be interesting. This was then distributed to each person as any had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus by birth, the one the apostles called Barnabas, which is translated son of encouragement. He sold a field uh, that he had owned, brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. All right. So notice the interaction. What is happening here? Really quick. You can kind of see this description of the church. They're a unified church. They're a bold church. They're a selfless church. You guys seeing this? And so in that little interaction, in the face of intimidation, this is what they're doing. They're a unified church. It said they were in one heart, one mind. What that meant was that not that everybody believed necessarily all the same or, or I mean, they saw themselves equally before Christ. That was number, the one thing. They were unified by the Holy Spirit. And their unity was interesting because for us, we're supposed to be unified as well. And this is where the debate goes because everyone trying to say, well, how unified are we supposed to be? Well, in scripture, it actually tells us two forms of unities we're supposed to have. Jesus communicates this. There's a unity of love and then there's a unity of faith. The unity of love is to help us until we get to a unity of faith. So let me explain. So if we get to a place where we don't all see eye to eye on certain things, that's the, what we believe, that's the faith thing, then what are we united on? Well, can we at least be united on the fact that Jesus claims and tells me to love you as he loves me? And so as we, as a community, are loving one another, we grow in the love of God. And as we grow in the love of God, that's actually how we can grow into a unified faith. As we grow in that learning, grow in that knowledge. So this church was showing that, modifying that. They were a bold church, like I said. Did you see the apostles? Everything that they were doing, they were saying and talking about the what? The resurrection of Jesus. The one thing that they said, don't do. Like a kid, right? You ever, I know I've, I've been like that and I got kids. I know it, it's one of those things where if your husband, your boss, your parent, they tell you, don't do this one thing. You're like, now I have to, right? Because you told me, I just need to now just because I have to do it now because you told me not to. Well, these guys are doing that. They were saying, listen, no, we're going to do that no matter what, because that's what mattered. And so the apostles were out there still repping the name of Jesus. And notice that all of them, the rest of them, the grace of God was on them. The grace of God, what that means is is hand on them because they were bold. They were obedient. And guys, you need to understand this, that the way for us to be able to see God's hand in our life, it comes with obedience. The more we follow through on the little things that we know, you know, because there's a lot of things that we don't know what to do and how to do, but there's a lot that we do. And so when we are obedient in the little things, man, the hand of God moves in our life. And we saw it there and God gave them grace, which is the ability to do these things, the ability to live in this way, the ability to live boldly in a culture, in a country that, listen, they killed Jesus himself for saying these things. And now here they are doing the same thing. And so that boldness came from obedience. And that's an important one. So we saw it there. And then a selfless church, right? You saw that nobody in the group was lacking everything. And you got to ask yourself at this point, how big is the group? We know that on day one, there was 3,000 people that came to saving grace in Jesus. I mean, the church at this point is, you know, however the months have been going on since Pentecost happened, man, they're in the thousands 
Thousands, and for no one to have a need, that's amazing. This is a reflection of something we read a couple weeks ago. Notice that this was voluntary. They weren't forced to do these things. They, you know, no government forced them to do it. They wanted to do this. And there was no necessarily compulsion of, oh, the rich have to take care of the poor necessarily have to. No, they wanted to. And so this was amazing love that was expressed. And you saw, what was that one guy that, you know, they were all giving their offerings, laying it at the apostles' feet. And then what did this guy do? You got remembered his name? Anybody online? You remember his name? Starts with a B. Barney. All right. He goes, Barney, Barnabas. All right. Barney. You're, now you're going to sing the song, aren't you? You're going to sing the song in your head. Barney. Barnabas is a cool dude, man. Barnabas, this is the first time he's introduced. And so for those of us, especially as we're studying the book of Acts, this is Barnabas's introduction. And we are going to see Barnabas. His name is going to come up a lot over the rest of this year because God did some cool things with him. So what does Barnabas do? He feels this call. It doesn't say that the Holy Spirit told him to do it. He wanted to do it. And as we're going to see later, Barnabas actually had a desire and God put it in a call on his life to be a full-time missionary. And so you can see why he's selling all of his, all of his things. Okay. You know, this, this generosity that was in this church, it was not abused by the way. This wasn't a bunch of people who could work and shouldn't, should be working and weren't and wanted to be taken care of. Mm -mm. No, we see this a lot. This was not um, their generosity was not being abused. It was literally in extreme circumstances. If somebody was unable to work or had something going on, or if one of them lost their job because of the name of Jesus, which happened a lot back then. So now how are they going to provide for each other? Well, this guy boldly declared and he lost his job because of his faith. So let's come together and let's help them in that, you know, on that side. So Bar we see an example of Barnabas doing that same thing. He gives it all to be able to go now and fulfill the mission that God is giving him in his life. And the word Barnabas is not his name. Anybody remember? Let's see, anybody who was really paying attention. Huh? Yeah, he was a Levite. He, that, that was his, uh, the tribe of his family where he was from. Joseph the Levite. His, Barnabas was a nickname. All right, anybody got nicknames? All right, online, type a nickname if you're not embarrassed to be able to share one of those. I know we all got nicknames that we give or share or say. But in order for you to get a nickname, you gotta earn that, right? A nickname is something where you get close to somebody so much that now I have that ability and I've known you so well, I'm going to say something. Well, Barnabas was his nickname. Barnabas was his nickname because he was a son of encouragement. He was a guy that every time he walked in the room, he just made you smile. No matter what was going on in your day, that was Barnabas. Barnabas was going to make sure that your life and your day was better because he was in it. That was Barnabas. And so that's why they gave him the name, son of encouragement. That's who he was. And so, man, as we're looking at this, guys, the church is amazing. Would you not say things are awesome? I mean, people are coming to believe in Jesus by the thousands. Scripture says every single day somebody is getting saved. You would say, bro, this is revival. Church is booming right now. And then, right, as church is booming, here comes a butt. All right, right, here comes a but. Right when things were booming, right when things were going, even in the face of intimidation, their interaction was still amazing. Things are awesome. And then here comes a but. And now the next 11 verses is going to be documenting the very first sin that happened within the church. But listen, I, I want you also to understand, you cannot spell church without uh, these letters, D-R-A-M-A. Put it together. Yeah, y'all can't spell church without D-R-A-M-A. You can't spell it without drama, all right? That's what it was, all right? There's, there was drama in the church then. There's drama in the church today. I know she loves that joke. Thank you, baby. All right, I love it. I was like, 
Thank you, baby Abby. Thank you, thank you. And so, listen, there was drama in the church back then too. And so let's look at the, one of the most controversial things that happened. Right in the midst of the peak, things were awesome. Here comes a but, a man named Ananias. Look at this. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. However, here it is, he kept back part of the proceeds with his wife's knowledge and brought a portion of it and laid it at the apostles' feet like everybody's been doing. Ananias, Peter asked, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceeds of the land? Wasn't it yours while you possessed it? And after it was sold, wasn't it at your disposal? Why is it that you planned this thing in your heart? You have not lied to the people, but to God. When he heard these words, Ananias dropped dead. Just, and a great fear came on all who heard. Then the young man got up, wrapped his body, carried him out, and buried him like Jewish custom and traditions do. After how long? Three hours his wife shows up. We don't know what she was doing and why she was taking her sweet time. We don't know. Uh, you know but uh, three hours later, she shows up not knowing what had happened to her husband. Tell me, Peter asks her, did you sell the land for this price? Oof, he set her up. He set her up. Did you sell the land for this price? And she says, yes, for that price. Then Peter said to her, why did you agree to test the spirit of of the Lord. Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Instantly, she dropped dead at his feet. When the young men came in, they found her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Then great fear came on the whole church and all who heard these things. So now we're going to collect offering. So if you're, you guys ready, we're going to collect offering this morning. And so, listen, could you imagine in the middle of offering, somebody just drops dead. Listen, church service is over, okay? It's over at that point. What is going on? And so there is something insane here to look at, like what happened? Why? Why? Because again, this slow down butt was huge. So let's look at this because there's a lot for us to process. The first thing I want you guys to understand is this. The issue was their hypocrisy. The issue was not that they held back money for themselves. Okay, y'all get that. I want to make sure that's clear. The problem was not that they wanted to keep some money and profit. That was not the problem. Peter himself said it when he tells Ananias, I'm like, listen, what are you doing? You know that this was yours. No one told you to sell it. No one told you to sell it. We didn't tell you to do anything. We didn't even tell you to give the money. And you know what? It was all yours. So you could have done whatever you want with it. And if you wanted to say, let's say he sold the property for a million dollars, just put it out there, and you wanted to donate 200000 that's fine. It's no, not a problem. You didn't even have to do that much. You can have kept the other 800000 to yourself. The problem was not that he held back money for himself. What was the problem? It was the hypocrisy. It was that they pretended. They lied. And it wasn't just lying to Peter. They thought they can lie to God. And so this was a huge issue because see, at this point, notice who Peter recognized something. The Holy Spirit gave him this revelation and said, uh, you know, Peter, 
pay attention. Open your eyes. And Holy Spirit shows him this one thing, this interesting detail that no one else would have known at this point. And what did Peter say? Who was the cause? Who was the originator of this idea? He told Ananias, it was Satan. Satan. Guys, what were we saying a minute ago? The church was being intimidated from the outside, right? And all of that persecution, what was, called, what was happening? People were getting saved left and right, left and right, left and right. So the, enemy, so the enemy's like, well, if I can't beat them, join them. And so he tries to now, if he can't intimidate you, he's going to try to infiltrate you. And that's what he did. He tried to infiltrate the church covertly from the inside. And Ananias and Sapphira, he took something and was able to latch onto an open door. And that open door was pride. Ananias and Sapphira were prideful people. They wanted the glory. They saw Barnabas and the massive sacrifice that he made. And I'm sure everybody was like, oh, praise God. Look at Barnabas. Thank you, Barnabas, for that. So I'm, I'm sure there was people who were just so grateful for that. People who were in need. And here's Barnabas coming through, man. Uh, they were so happy. And here, he did it selflessly. He did it inspired just by love. But Ananias and Sapphira, they were glory chasers. They wanted to do and live a kind of way. So when you looked at them, they were like, man, I want to be just like you. You guys are awesome. Guys, let me tell you, all right, there's still some snakes in the grass in the church here today. There's still a lot of people who you may admire. And deep down, they're doing it not for the glory of God. They're doing it to get glory from you. And they do it. They can do some massive things, but they do it so they feel that affirmation and love. Not, they don't do it from a place of love. So we always got to check ourselves. And so here, the Satan, he's trying to infiltrate this situation. Now, there's some debates on if Ananias and Sapphira are actually believers at all. We don't know. This is the only time they come up. So we don't know if they're fake believers, you know? And because we do know that a Christian, a Christian, and we, we believe that cannot be possessed by a demon, but it can be influenced. And so, and when you have an open heart, unchecked sin, you put yourself in a position to be guided. And here's the thing about pride. You don't realize you're dealing with pride. Why? Because you're too prideful to recognize it, right? That's the thing with pride. It's like you don't realize that it's a problem because it hides. It's really good at hiding and really good at justifying. And so now you would ask yourself this question. All right, okay, cool. But why did they have to die? Did God kill them? Can God commit murder and still not sin? It's an interesting question. Now, the scripture doesn't say that God killed them. It just said that they did what? They just died. And so we don't know if this was kind of like they were literally scared to death. That happens when someone is just so in shock. And I'm sure Ananias, man, he must have freaked out because no one knew other than him and his wife what they had, the plan was. And here Peter is outing them. And so we don't know if it was the, the, maybe the devil that was so, oh my gosh, like how did you figure that out? How did you know that? He thought he was good and now he couldn't put one past Peter like that. So we don't know if he literally was scared to death and he died because of that and so was you know, his wife. Or guys, listen, God, could, God judges us. That, that sounds very Old Testament if you think about it. We're in the New Testament, and that sounds like a really Old Testament God. And that, in, that instance kind of shows a little bit of, listen, God is dead serious about sin. He is dead serious about sin still, even with the forgiveness and even with all of the stuff. This happened for a reason. And literally, if this would have gone on, the devil would have been able to infiltrate the church at its early stage and taken it out. He would have taken it out. He would have corrupted the church from day one. So this, because it happened at the beginning, was important. And so this shows us that, listen, God is dead serious about sin. Because what does Paul say? That the wages of sin, the activity, the repercussions of sin is death. death. 
That's what the scripture says, and that's what sin is. This is more than just an oops. Sin is more than just not doing the right thing. No, it produces death in us. It produces death in you. And so this, Paul was, I mean, not Paul, God was trying to show the church at the beginning. Listen, sin, I've dealt sin a death blow, but listen, I'm so dead serious about it. Because if we live in sin, Listen, and that's what the enemy wants to do, guys. By the way, I want you to know that the enemy's goal is to get you, is to kill, to rob, steal, kill, kill and destroy the life that is in you. Now, once you're a believer in Christ Jesus, guys, he can't can't undo that. He can't undo that. But he can do something. I, I like to say a lot that the devil has two plans for your life. Listen, I know we always talk about God's plan, but has anyone ever asked and wondered what's the enemy's plan? What's the devil's plan for your life? Listen, I'll just tell you right now for free. Ready? Here we go. Two things. All right. Plan A. Plan A for your life is to keep you from being saved. That's plan A. He wants to even get you to the point that you can be religious and feel like you're saved, though you're not. Ah, that stinks. He can get you, and if if you want to be religious, that's fine. He doesn't have a problem with that. As long as you put your faith in your own works, in your own ability, in your own belief, and that's it, and you're not in the name of Jesus, plan A is to keep you from being saved. Plan B, if you're saved, he doesn't like, ah, man, here we go. I lost another one. Oh, well, let's move on to the next guy. No, because he doesn't want what started in you to be duplicated into somebody else. He doesn't. And so I, I love this image from uh, Dr. Del Tackett, and uh, it's really interesting. And so I put this idea here. It says, look, the enemy wants to intimidate or influence us into a fruitless life. That's what the, that's what the enemy was doing back then. Still happens today. The enemy does not want you to produce, all right? You know, sound like DJ Khaled, right? They don't want you to win. They don't want you to do that. They don't want you to produce any fruit. They don't want you to win. It doesn't, he doesn't want to do that because that's more lives, more people that can be in, impacted for the kingdom. That's less people that will be in hell, more in heaven. He doesn't want that. And so he will either intimidate you or infiltrate your heart to a fruitless life because that's what Ananias and Sapphira did. They died. And because they died, you know what that means? No more fruit from their life. And so look at this. You know, I have a, you know, this image of a pine cone. I was going to bring one. I have a pine cone that sits in my office from my favorite place in the world, Fort Wilderness, Disney's Fort Wilderness. I have a pine cone that sits there on my shelf. And uh, I love it because it's a seed, right? A pine cone is a seed. And trees produce this. It falls down and it creates more trees, right? And then each of these trees produces more fruit that falls down and creates more trees. Does that, does that make sense? So from this one thing, and, and I love the way this is said. I don't know who said it, but, you know, the analogy was an apple. You can count how many seeds are in an apple, but you can't count how many apples are in a seed. Think about that, right? You can count the seeds in an apple, but you can't count the amount of apples that are in a seed because this seed produces something that produces more fruit, that produces others and produces more fruit and boom, boom, boom. But if the enemy can take you out, if he can take you out, this is more than just removing your life. Now, that's all potential life that could have been impacted for the kingdom of God because he took you out. See, he wants us to intimidate or infiltrate us into a fruitless life. I believe that's why the church, you know, what, what was the reaction of the church? You know, if somebody falls dead in the middle of offering, you're like, yeah, I'm looking for another church. What is this? You know, like, I'm pretty sure that would have been something, right? You would have thought. But what did it say happened to the church? Great fear came on them. That sense of fear was not, oh, we've got to be careful. It was like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to, you know. You know, when they go to give their offering, they're like all shaking in their boots. Like, 
okay, I made it, you know? It wasn't that kind of fear. It was this sense of awe and wonder, fear of the Lord. Again, they were realizing, whoa, yo, the enemy can, the enemy almost got us, right? You ever had a close call, like driving or something like that? You ever had a close call and like, whoo, that was, that was close. You almost got me there, right? That almost happened. Well, here, it was like a close call. They, they could not maybe have imagined that the enemy could have infiltrated their ranks from that way. And he did. So great fear came upon them. I was like, yo, we got to make sure we got to do this right. We got to guard and, and help each other understand the truth. And so because, again, they saw that. They saw what the enemy was able to accomplish. And they're like, no, we need to live out. And what was amazing, guys, is that they kept on still being bold, still preaching, still. The, and every day people were coming to save, saving faith in Jesus. And so then this is something that I was praying about this and I'm studying this and I'm looking at how the enemy infiltrated our hearts, how they infiltrated them. How does he infiltrate us? And then I asked this question, um, God, can an imperfect person remain pure? I was really bothered by this question as I was studying this. Can an imperfect person remain pure? Because for the enemy to infiltrate us, that means we have to remain a pure heart. And God's word says, be holy as I am holy. And, and the importance of purity, a purity of heart, purity in the word. And then I'm like, all right, God, I get it. But then can an imperfect person remain pure? How does that work? I don't know if I'm bothered, if you're nerding out like me on that, but I thought that was important. Because it's like, how can I avoid what happened to Ananias and Sapphira? How can I avoid that? How can I remain pure, though imperfect? And here's the, the thing, guys, as well. This is so cool. I'm so glad that God does not just cause us to drop dead because we do something that we shouldn't do. That's kind of nice, right? That was a one-time thing to teach a lesson, and then we had to be careful and learn the lesson from there on out. So I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for that, because if not, I'm pretty sure, you know, half of us maybe would have been, you know, at this point today. Okay? But just saying, okay? That might be, you know, okay. So, but can an imperfect person be pure? How do you do that? How can we do it? Because we all know, God, that we're still going to make mistakes. And, and there's going to be times because they can pride and this and that that we don't. So how can an imperfect person remain pure? And so now this is just the way I saw it. And I was, I was wrestling with this. How does God's word help us to do it? Like, what does this look like? And so I got this, um, I got this image of uh, Tony Stark's heart. All right. So some of you, if you know the Marvel movies, you've seen this. All right. So this arc reactor is something that was created at the very first one. Let me help you because I thought it was an interesting image. And so how can an imperfect person remain pure? This came to mind. And so at the very beginning of Marvel 1, so you have, you know, Iron Man. He was the initial. What happens? There was this bomb that explodes and all this shrapnel gets into his body. And the shrapnel is going all through the blood system. And the thing is that if the shrapnel got to his heart, he would die. And so in this cave in Afghanistan, this guy creates a, a manufactured little kind of situation there, and he created a magnet. And the magnet was in his heart to draw all of the impurities to the magnet that were inside of Tony Stark. And it kept all of these impurities, though inside of him, it kept it from entering his heart, which kept him alive. All right. And then eventually Tony creates this, a stronger one. He says, you know what? What if I can just create this power supply that not only can keep me alive by drawing all of the impurities to it, but what if it can empower me to do something that I could not do in my own strength? And so there you go. He creates the suit and yada, yada. History is made. All right. And then I was thinking about that. I'm like, God, is, is that how it works? How can an imperfect person remain pure? And then I'm thinking of the Holy Spirit. How it's deposited in our lives. God said in the Old Testament, he promised, he says, there will come a time when I will do something in the world that I will give you a new heart. That's what he says. I will give you a new heart and a new mind. And 
that he did it. And then when we believe in Jesus Christ, he gives us that new heart. It's the mind of Christ, the heart of Christ that is now sensitive to God himself. And now this heart where he writes the laws on the tablet of our new hearts, he does these things. And this heart, which is the Holy Spirit inside of us, it's a power supply. It is something that gives us the ability to be able to do and accomplish and know. And the holiness of the Holy Spirit and the scriptures, because Jesus says, if you abide in me, you, you linger, you hang on, you hold on to the word of God, the truth of God, by the spirit of God, it will help you to produce fruit. And so all of these things, as you look at this, and I was seeing this as, as the word of God that's in my heart, that I hide God's word in my heart, that I literally have and, and try to keep my heart in sync with the Holy Spirit. And there, those things, he helps us to be able to still be and give us that ability where we can be pure of heart, yet still imperfect and still have some remaining sins to deal with. You see that? I don't know if that analogy helps any of you to think, but that is what I was looking at. I was like, that's what it, that's just how I see it. And that's what God gives us. That's what he wants to do. So how can we avoid that fruitlessness, that death inside, that Ananias and Sapphira, by again, by doing what Jesus said, to surrendering our hearts to him filling our hearts with his word and may our heart be in sync with the spirit as well. Now, it's not perfect, all right? It, I mean, there's times that, you know, again, maybe we're out of bounds and we're out of whack and we feel the ramifications, but then we default back and we hold on to. This is what, it is him, it is him inside who not only forgives us of our sins, but like scripture says, purges us and forgives us of all unrighteousness. Tony Evans says this, I love Pastor Tony Evans, he says, Pray, ask God to forgive you of the sins that you know about and trust him to help you to deal with the sins that you don't know about yet. Because we all got some under this rock, under that rock, under this emotion, under this memory, under this wound. There's a lot there. And so you just pray and thank God, ask him to forgive you of the sins you know about and ask him to help you deal with everything else that's left over. And so that's pretty cool. So when I see this and, and I was also remembered of just what was the one thing that Ananias and Sapphira did? They were hypocritical. They lied. They lied. And, and so I was thinking about this as well. You guys ever done the pain scale at the hospital? You ever seen one of these? Right? When they go, I was like, all right, so just tell me, you know, from one to 10, you know, what's your pain level today? You know, you done one of those? Right? Now, let me ask you a question. If you're an eight, if you're a 10, if you're a 10, what's going to happen if you're like, oh, well, doctor, I, I'm a three. I'm a three. You're a 10, but you're telling, no, I'm a three. What's the doctor going to do? He's going to treat you for level three issues. Is that going to help your level 10 situation? No, because he's treating you at a level three. Why? Because this is what you said. You were pretending. You were hiding. And the thing, guys, is as a church, I want us to understand this is Ananias and Sapphira. Not only they were hiding from God, but they were hiding it from apparently the church itself. They were being dishonest to everybody. And as a church, I want us to understand that what God's heart is, and I know it's my heart for us as well, is that, listen, we don't pretend about our pain. That we don't have a church that we pretend. I'm like, oh, we walk in the doors today. I'm a two. I'm feeling good today. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm a two today. And you walk out of here with your eight self. You know, no, you don't, you don't have to stop. And it was like, you know, we, if we pretend, we see what happened with the Ananias and Sapphira when they pretended. There was death. There was a negative consequence. And so listen, if you're a, if you're a, uh, if you're a two, 
truly a two, then let's praise God together. Scripture says if things are going great, then hey, let's celebrate that. Let's honor that. If, there, if you are experiencing a two, a one, a zero, life is awesome, then you shouldn't feel guilty. Praise God that life is amazing. And we want to praise with you. But what does Scripture say? But if those who, those who mourn, we should mourn. We should mourn. If you're a 10, then let us be a 10 with you. You know, let, you know, there's no healing in pretending. The healing comes from honesty. Honesty before God. Honesty between one another. It's important. Not that you got to tell everybody your business all that, you know, no, no, not that neither. But you got to find somebody that you know within the church that you can say, listen, yo, I'm having a seven kind of a day. I'm having a seven. You need at least one. Everyone needs at least one to be able to say, yo, I'm having a seven. Can you pray for me right now? Yo, my marriage is at a 10, yo. Can you help me? My health is a, can you pray with me? Like we all need that. That's where that honesty comes from. And guys, think about what is love? Can you have true love if it's not honest? Isn't love true love in its pure form? Isn't just, just straight up honesty? And so see, we experience the love of God. And guys, I want you to know it's okay to tell God you're a 10. It's okay to say your situation is a 10. It's okay, be honest with him. Be honest with each other and he can bring that healing in there. And so this is again talking about that. How can an imperfect person remain pure? Yes, it can. How? Through honesty, being honest before the Lord. Honest, letting, when you read scripture and it convicts you, being honest to say, all right, God, yeah, I still need that, right? This is so important. This is how we can remain pure. And so how do we do this? Well, at the foot of the cross, at the foot of the cross is where this all happens. How can an imperfect person remain pure? At the foot of the cross. How can we find healing inside of our hurts? At the foot of the cross. It's all right here. And so if, if I was going to tell you to do anything that we should do today and every single day is fall in awe and give it all at the foot of the cross. What did Ananias and Sapphira do? They did two things. They held back, right? They, 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 they were hypocritical. They lied. And they said they gave it all, but didn't. They wanted all of the glory without the sacrifice. They wanted all the glory without the sacrifice. Guys, listen, you can't experience the presence of God like that if you just kind of, if you're playing games with him, thinking he don't see you. Here's the beautiful part about it, guys, is that, listen, God knows you better than you even know yourself. He knows you better than you know yourself and still loves you at that. Look at that. He knows you better. If you knew who you were at your core, you wouldn't even like yourself probably. And that's where a lot of us deal with, insecurity issues. And God sees you for what you could not even imagine and loves you anyways. He loves you anyways. And so this is what we're called to do, guys, is we fall in awe of the love of God. And what do we do? We give it all. We give him everything. We give him our hearts. We give him our wounds. We give him our questions. And we allow Lord to linger and step into those things. All of those things, we do this at the foot of the cross. And this is notice that, uh, you know, there was a lot of feet happening. You know, if you have a foot fetish, then, you know, you, there was a lot of this in the, in the Bible. Did y'all catch this? Where were the offerings put? At the feet of the apostles. Where did these two people fall dead? At the feet of the apostles, right? And so feet, in this point, it represents um, complete surrender. Because when they were giving the offering, they were saying, all right, Peter, I trust you to take my money and to do what you need to do. I trust you. Full surrender. Guys, this is how we live at the foot of the cross. 
at full surrender. You just can't lay your life at the foot of the cross and say, all right, Jesus, but you understand I'm still making decisions, right? We good? We, we, we you know, got an agreement, right? You can't do that. You can't just say, I lay it all at the foot of the cross, but you're still saying, you know, I'm still in charge though. No, it's there. It's where we live. Fully surrendered to him. And when we do, we find life. So it's interesting. Something inside of us does die. And that's that sin that we need to crucify every single, our flesh that we need to crucify every day. That, should, that, that boy should lay at the foot of Jesus every single day. And that, that's what we need to do. But we lay ourselves down. And I, I, I found these quotes that were amazing. Um, let me just read a couple of these. I'll post these uh, later if you want them. You can write them down later. But I was looking at these uh, great thoughts on the foot of the cross, and I came up against these three. John Newton says that, may we sit at the foot of the cross and learn what sin has done, what justice has done, and what love has done. J.C. Ryle says, there is more to be learned at the foot of the cross than anywhere else in the world. And Spurgeon says this, he says, while others are congratulating themselves that they're saved, while others are congratulating themselves, I have to sit humbly at the foot of the cross and marvel that I am saved at all. I love that. That's what it does. That, that's at the foot of the cross is where we live. At the foot of Jesus, at the feet of Jesus. And I want you to know, scripture says that we're all going to find ourselves at the feet of Jesus one day. Do you know that? Scripture says that every knee will bow and every tongue confess. And we will all be at the feet of Jesus. And we're going to recognize that he is Lord. That's going to happen. This will not be up for debate anymore. It will be settled. And you're like, oh, wow. Yep. Yeah, Tim, okay, it's going to be settled. And so at that day, though, if you wait till that moment, you're going to find yourself at the foot of the cross, at the foot of Jesus in one of two places. You're, you will either find yourself at the feet of Jesus as a grateful child who has been forgiven, or you will find yourself at the feet of Jesus as a defeated enemy. And that decision will be made for you because you've already made it for yourself. But now is the time when we say, listen, we're not looking for anything else, but we come here to this place and we live and learn to live continually at the foot of the cross. We stand firm on God's word, which is truth at the foot of the cross. We stand with God's people in honesty, again, truth and love at the foot of the cross. And we do it by the grace of God, all because of the Holy Spirit at the foot of the cross. And so I want to ask you, if you find wherever you find yourself today, you know, maybe... Maybe you're showing up and, and, and life's a seven, life's an eight, life's a 10, but you're living like it's a three and, and you're, you're not even bringing anything to God. You're, you're, you're holding things back. You're holding your questions, your, your frustrations, you're, you're holding back. Maybe it could be that. Maybe you find yourself like the church. They were intimidated by what was happening on the inside. Maybe there's a lot of anxiety with the news and this and that that you're experiencing. And maybe there's, it's, you're, you're either afraid or, or you, maybe it's your failure that you've fallen and you, you've, you've made a mistake and you know you got this issue that's lingering, but you're just afraid to admit it or you don't even want to approach God at that point because you're afraid that, God, I did it again. And so instead of being honest, you want to hide and pretend you're a three instead of the fact that you're an eight. Whatever those things, listen, just lay it down. Jesus said, listen, that's a heavy burden to be pretending. Pretending is a heavy burden you don't have to carry. It, you don't have to. Again, lay it off. Fall in awe. The fact that God loves you with all of this and all of your baggage and all this stuff. Fall in awe that he actually does love you. 
That he, if you've believed in Jesus Christ, that he has saved you, fall in all and give it all at the foot of the cross. And I challenge you to have the courage to be honest. And there, God will encourage you because that's what he promised he will do. The story of Ananias and Sapphira reminds me of another verse that Paul talks about when he says, even if you gave all of your money away, yet you did it without love, you did nothing. And see, that's my encouragement for for myself that I took out of this, and I, I pray that it will be one for you as well. That when we come to Jesus, when we show up, listen, do not hold back. Okay, we, we can't. Like, the Lord sees. He sees through the religious, hypocritical nonsense that we are. He sees through all the masks and the filters. It is pointless. Don't pretend. No, but embrace the promises of God. Recognize who you are. See, that's part of, again, love. Love Real love requires honesty. To experience true love and intimacy requires honesty before the Lord. This sense of rawness and and like any other relationship, it, it takes time to kind of grow and be there. But at the same time, I want you to see yourself for who you are right now. And that is hopeless without Christ. And I'm saying that with all love because that's me as well. We are hopeless without Christ and God cannot heal what we pretend doesn't exist. So my challenge for you is to remember that, to guard your heart from pride, guard your heart from from anything that would rob you of spending time with the Lord, growing in Him so that you may continue to produce fruits from here till whenever, until the day, until your last dying day. That is my prayer for my kids and my church and myself. And we find this again at the foot of the cross. So I'm going to say it again the way I ended it. Take the, have the courage to be courageous. And the Lord will encourage you as he promised. Okay, because we, when we are that way to him, okay, he does a mighty work in us. He wants you to continue to grow and to know that there is nothing better than him. But it starts by being honest with yourself that you are a sinner in need of a savior. And for those of you that are believers, that you still need to rely on the spirit for all things so that he may be strong in your weakness.